If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You have to say good morning to a lot of people today. Uh, my name's David. I'm the location pastor here at Jubilee Kirkwood, and um, I get the privilege to speak uh, this morning with you. And, um, and uh, I don't know about you. I don't know how rested you feel. I don't know how much you're enjoying summer, but I was thinking, you know, summer time, right? This is the time to relax. It's the time to get away. It's the time to get refreshed. So I don't know if you're feeling refreshed, um, but I'm just going to be honest. I'm not feeling that refreshed. I uh, took a trip. We went on vacation at the beginning of June because uh, that's what you do in summer, right? You go on vacation. And we went to uh, Colorado, got to see my brother-in-law get married. Beautiful wedding in the mountains. It was fantastic. It was gorgeous. Um, what was not awesome about that trip was we spent 33 hours in a car with our four kids, seven and younger, over the span of five days. Um, when I got back, I don't know, I didn't feel rested. I didn't feel refreshed. I, in fact, when I told people about our trip, uh, you know what they said? We, we've coined a phrase for this. Like, whenever someone goes on vacation, you're gearing up to go back to work, we say, oh, you need a vacation from your vacation, right? We know, it. We, that's what we say. We, we need rest from trying to find rest. And, and, uh, and it's funny, I thought, it just, it just made me think about how we long for rest. And I'm not talking about being checked out. Like checking out is kind of, we ex- try to escape from, from our stress or our life. I'm talking about we long for rest. Like we long to be satisfied. We long to be fulfilled. And we try and get rested. We try to find fulfillment in all kinds of things. So we go on trips and we have experiences and we do things or we do don't do things because we want rest. We want to be fulfilled. And, and uh, the thing that I keep finding in my life is every time I think I'm going to experience rest or experience fulfillment, it's just temporary. It's just here and then it's gone. I, I, it's, it's, I, I taste it and then it's, and then, and then it's, and then it's gone. And, and we are all we are all just reaching for rest. We're reaching to be satisfied. We think we're going to get it in that next stage of life. You know, I got little kids at home. So I'm thinking, oh, it's just when they sleep through the night, like that's then I'll have, then I'll be satisfied when I get a full night's sleep. But the truth is, as I talk to people, it's just like, it's, it's just the same story over and over. Oh, it's, it's when, they, when they grow up. It's when they move out. Then I'll have rest. It's when they graduate. Then I'll have rest. It's when they're happy. Then I'll have rest. It's when their kids' kids are happy. Then I'll have rest. 
It's when I graduate. It's when I pass that test, when I get that promotion. Then, then I'll experience that satisfaction, that rest that I'm longing for. But it, the truth is, if we step back, it's just a re, it's on repeat in our life. We get exhausted trying to find rest as we try to find rest. And I think it's very possible that it's not, we need to kind of step back and ask ourselves the question, maybe it's not about where we find rest or what we find rest, but in who that we find rest. And here's a really important question that I want you to think about, and, in, and that is, what is your view of God? Today, we get to start out a series, a new series, where we're going to take the next six weeks, and we're going to talk about the unlimited God that the church knows and love. Our God, who is unlimited, he is infinite in his power. He is infinite in his knowledge. He is infinite in his control. There is no border that you can place on our God. And how you view God there is a direct line from how you view God to how satisfied and fulfilled you are today. How you view God, let me explain that a little bit. If you think everyone has a view on God, everyone has a perspective on God, even if your perspective is that there is no God, that's a view on God. So if that's your view on God, there is no God, there's no God in this life, there's no God up there, this is just what we see is what we have, then you see life, you experience life through the lens that there is no God, and you attribute everything that happens in life to something outside of God, whether it be coincidence uh, or science or happen chance or just whatever it is, it's, it's, it's something that's not God. Maybe your view of God is that he's cruel, that he's unjust, if that's your view of God, then your experience is you filter everything through that lens. And every bad thing that happens in your life or in this world is the result of a cruel God. It could be that you view God, that he is a God who um, he's happy with you when you're doing good things and he's mad at you when you're doing bad things. And your experience then is that every time when things are going good in your life, God must be happy with you. When things are not going good in your life, God must be mad at you. You gotta do better. You gotta work harder. You gotta perform. We all have a view that is of God that is affecting our experience with God. Think about this way. If I think that you don't like me, don't raise your hand if you don't like me. If, you th if I think that you think, like if we, you and I have bitterness in our relationship. And I think this guy doesn't like me. We go into a, we come enter a room together and maybe, maybe you give me a bad look. Maybe you give me, you know, you give me a weird face. And because I think you don't like me, you're mean to me. You're not kind to me. I leave our, that encounter and I go talk to my wife and I man, I was with Joe today and he gave me such a dirty look, man. That guy is just, he's just out for me. I don't know what it is. But the truth is maybe Joe, who doesn't like me, maybe he just looked up across the room and for just a moment, he had a terrible bout of gas. <laughs> he couldn't have told you what look was on his face when he looked at me. It had maybe had nothing to do with me, but because I have a, pers I have a, pers a perspective, because I have a view on him, I interpret through that filter. And we do that same thing with God. 
We interpret God through our filters and we put God in a box and we think this is how God is or this is how God acts or this is how God behaves. And why we'll, and my hope is that in the next six weeks that we stretch, we stretch and we open ourselves up to see a bigger picture of who God is a more helpful picture of who God is because how we view him, we wanna view him the right way so that we can experience him the right way. Our view of God influences how we react to him. It influences how we relate to him and it influences how we rest in him. So what's our view? Well, thankfully, God has revealed himself to us. We don't have to wonder what God is like or formulate how we think he is. We can experience how we think he is. We can read about how he is. He has shown us who he is uh, through Jesus and people throughout the Bible testify to who he is. And we want those things to shape our perspective. Sometimes we take our experience and we say, because I have this experience, this must be how God is. But what we need to do is we need to take a step back and we need to let truth, we need to let God, we need to let him tell us who he is. And we want the right perspective so we can experience him the right way. And to start with the right perspective, it's helpful to start in the beginning. And we're gonna go to Genesis chapter 1, 27. It says this, it says, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So God, the creator, made Adam and Eve. Like you and I, he created us, he made us in his image. Adam and Eve were like God, and they were unlike God. They were created in his, in his image, so there are similarities, but Eve, um, there were similarities, but Eve reached for the apple. Why? Because she saw how she was unlike God and she wanted to be like God. So she was aware that I am like God, but I am also not like God. There's similarities, and then there's way, and there are ways that we are not like God. When something is created in the image of something else, there's always similarities and differences. If I had a Corvette, like a real Corvette up here, right? That would be pretty sweet. And if I had, I could have a model of that Corvette and we could say, oh, there's similarities between this model, right? It has these doors. It has the steering. It looks like this Corvette. It looks like the real thing, but we obviously know that it's not, it's not the real thing. There's similarities and there's differences. God is like us, but he is not like us. In the ways that we are alike, these attributes that we share with God are called communicable attributes. Say that five times fast. Communicable attributes. I was just kidding. Communicable attributes. I find, I find that personally, there's no better uh, person to show us who God is like. If you want to ask the question, who, what's God like other than himself? And he revealed himself to us through the person of Jesus. John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus was in the beginning. He was the word. He was with God. He was with father, with spirit, and he was God. He was in the beginning, which means he was with Adam and Eve in the garden, that Adam and Eve were created through him. He was there in the garden and then he reveals himself to us in the person of Jesus in the New Testament as he's with his disciples. And Jesus says, if you want to know what God is like, then look at me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, uh, John 14, 9. And when we learn about Jesus, we see qualities that we can connect with. 
We see ways that we're like him. Jesus experienced joy. We experience joy. He experienced sorrow. We experience sorrow. He experienced frustration. We experience frustration. He laughed. He wept. We share in these attributes and characteristics. These are communicable attributes of God. But it's really important that we all see how we, how we important that we see how we are not like Jesus. Just like the model car, car is not the real car. There are attributes that we don't share, and these are called incommunicable attributes. He didn't sin. We sin all the time. We sin and we didn't even know we were sinning. The weather obeyed his command. You remember that story in the Bible? I mean, the disciples are on a boat. It's raging. They're like throwing stuff overboard. They think they are going down with the ship. Jesus is sleeping. They wake him up, think, don't you care? We're going to die. And he gets up and he tells the wind and the waves to knock it off. And then peace, sun comes out, clouds part. He had a friend, Lazarus, who died. Jesus shows up to the gravesite days after his death. And he's sorrowful, but he says, Lazarus, come out. And a man that had been dead for days got up and walked out of his grave. He stood on a mountain with some of his disciples. It was like an episode off of Star Trek. All of a sudden he turns into like a beaming ray of light. And he's standing there and he's talking to Moses and Elijah, who if you don't know, were very heavy hitters in the Old Testament and had been dead for a very long time. And his disciples watched him have a conversation with these guys. When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, they came to take him away. And they said they were looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. Sound familiar? Do you remember when God asked, when, when God called Moses to lead his people out of slavery? And he said, who should I tell them sent me? And he said, tell them, I am sent you. One commentator says, when God says, I am, I am who I am, he explains it this way. He says, it explains his name Jehovah and signifies that he is self-existent, that he is eternal and unchangeable, that, that we cannot by searching find him out because he's a God who reveals himself and that he is faithful and true to all his promises, unchangeable in his word, as well as in his nature and not a man that he should lie. They asked if he was Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And all of a sudden some of his godness broke out and the crowd and the soldiers staggered back and fell down before the I am. Jesus was like his disciples, but he was very much not like them. God has incommunicable qualities that make him God, that draw a clear line of distinction between who is the creator and who is the created. 
The Bible tells us that he is all-knowing, that he is always present, that he is all-powerful. And God is unlimited. He is unlimited in his authority and in his control. Colossians 1.15 says that he is the image of the invisible God. This is Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. How big is your God today? What's your view of God? If you're a follower of Christ, something that should rise up within us is that as we dwell on the vastness of God is worship and praise for our God who is in all things, through all things, and all things are held together through him. It should create within us an awe and respect of him. Awe plus respect equals fear of the Lord. Jesus' disciples feared him. They didn't run and hide from him in their fear. They drew close to him in their fear. They weren't afraid. They didn't, they didn't try to get away. No, fear the Lord is awe and respect. When Jesus calmed the storm and then elements of nature obeyed his command, it said that they feared. They trembled and said, who is this that even the weather, even the storm listens to him? When the disciples were up on the mountain and the transfiguration happens and Jesus is speaking to Moses and Elijah and says that they, the disciples didn't know what to say because they were so afraid. And they didn't run off that mountain. They stayed with him. They were filled with awe and respect. Psalm 31, 19 says, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. Psalm 112.1, praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Do you want to experience God's goodness? Do you want to experience God's blessing? We need to fear the Lord. Psalm 145.19, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will hear their cry and save them. God doesn't want us to run from him. He wants us to worship him. The disciples didn't run from him. They worshiped him. They loved him. They died for him. They had a great view of God. They saw their unlimited God and they believed that he heard their prayer, that they would work, that he would work through them to heal the sick and cast out demons and raise the dead. They were aware that God is greater than the world we see, that he was more sovereign than the rulers who told them to stop preaching about Jesus. They knew that he was powerful enough to deliver them from death and he was loving enough to embrace them if their time on earth came to pass and they died. They had a huge fear. They had a huge, great view of God and they feared the Lord. Do you fear the Lord? Do you have awe and respect towards your creator in heaven? Our view of God needs to be a big view I love the nearness of God, how he calls us friends and sons and daughters, but we must not miss his awesome, unlimited power, his unlimited knowledge, his unlimited control. Our view of God needs to be right so our reaction is right. And what's the right reaction to God? It's to fear the Lord. Eve stopped fearing the Lord. She stopped living within her limits and she reached for what she thought, what she thought, was gonna satisfy her. She thought, this looks good. I'm gonna reach for this. In verse five, 
It says, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that's such a key line. When she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took up its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. She stopped believing that the limits God had placed on her were for good. And this is the lie that the serpent told Eve and that the enemy of God has been whispering in our ears for generation after generation after generation that God is not good. It wasn't, it wasn't that he wasn't in control. It, was that, it wasn't that Eve stopped believing in you know, God's power or ability, but she believed that he was withholding goodness from her. And that's the lie she believed. Serpent came to Eve and says, hey, it looks good, doesn't it? Smells good. It's not rotten. It is good. And then Eve decided in herself, she listened to the lie and then she decided in herself, it is good. This is what will satisfy me. This is what will fulfill me. This is what I need. So she reached. You may think that God is denying you something that looks good, but you have no idea the consequences if he let you have exactly what you want. To my seven month old, sharp objects and outlets look appealing to her. They look good. They look good. I can't convince her they don't look good. How much more terrible though the consequence if I gave her what she want? If I let her be the, the judge and the decider of this is what's good and what's not good. One moment, Eve is resting in perfection with all things in harmony, placed there by God. The next, she's questioning God and an appetite for what she doesn't have is awakened and she believes a lie. She believes she knew what would make her happy. She knew, she knew what would make her life better, what would, be, what would produce the better outcome. And she reached, and don't we reach don't we reach for control? Don't we reach to, for our happiness? Don't we reach? We reach for things that are beyond ourselves. We want things. We wanna, we wanna control things. We wanna have things a certain way. We wanna experience things and we, we all reach. We've all at one time or another questioned the goodness of God. I know I have. Haven't you questioned the goodness of God? Haven't you gone through a difficult circumstance and wondered where is God in the situation? Why is he withholding this good thing from me? On all accounts, this looks good. It, it, it appears good, but I can't have it. I can't seem to obtain it. Haven't we all questioned his goodness it's really important that we see God not just unlimited in his power, that we don't have this big view of God, but that we know he's unlimited in his goodness. Because if he's not unlimited in his goodness, then we should run from him. We should hide from him. We should rebel from him. But if he is unlimited in all things, including his goodness, we should turn to him and worship him and find rest in him. I'm gonna bring up my wife, Daniela. Um, She's gonna share her testimony with you. Um, I, I, so uh, Daniela has um, had Crohn's disease. She was diagnosed with Crohn's disease when she was 12 years old. And um, come on up. Yeah, it's fine. And uh, she has, so she had Crohn's disease. We met when she was 16, I was 18. And um, 
we, she's been through hospitalization after hospitalization. She's been through some high points, low points. We've seen God meet with her and we have seen, and she's gone through some real valleys where she has wrestled with this. Like, where is God really good? Does he have good for me? And I think her story, if, you, if today you're wrestling and you're struggling and you're wanting or wondering where God is and where his goodness is in your life, I think that her story may help you. So I'm gonna have her share. Thank you. Um, so most of you that have known me since Kirkwood or don't know me don't probably think of me as someone who's sick. Um, you probably think of me as the lady who has a bunch of little girls following me around like baby ducklings. Um, but some of you have been there with me through the struggle over the years. Some of you have been in hospital rooms with me praying, and some of you have even driven me to the hospital in the middle of the night, driven me to the ER with a puke bucket in my lap. Thank you, Brian Murray, for that, by the way. Um, and I just hope my story would be relatable to you and God will speak to you even if you're in a, the bleakest of circumstances and if your faith is wavering as mine was. So as David said, I have been sick since I was 12 years old, very sick. I was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of my disease um, and I have been through a lot with it. Surgery, hospital stays, I've been poked and prodded and cut open and every which way and medications have failed me. Um, my doctor once told me that when uh, he gets together with like a, a professionals in his field, they will actually talk about me as uh, to, to challenge their minds. As, so that gets you, gives you an idea of just how complicated and complex my disease has been over the years. And for... You know, since I've been in the church, people have come around me, have had faith to pray for my healing. And, um, and although I didn't see how he, I did see how he was using me not being healed. He used me, you know, he used me in people's lives or he, you know, gave me greater compassion for things or what. When I really peeled back the layers of my heart, uh, I was angry at God for not healing me. I felt like I deserved more, and I really felt like he was holding out on me. Um, so it all came to a head when I was pregnant with my third daughter, Ruby. Uh, I was very sick. Uh, I was getting like 105 degree fevers, but we were having a Friday night of prayer, which we have uh, several times a year, and I actually got a text from, from Brian asking if I would mind standing up that night because he had, a, had it on his heart to pray for people who are chronically ill. And honestly, I said, sure. <laughs> but honestly, I was like, no, not again. Here we go again. Here's another night where people are going to pray for me and where I'm going to feel let down or people are going to get this great faith that I'm going to be healed and I'm not healed. And uh, honestly, and the biggest thing is I didn't want to hit this ceiling that I always hit with God. Like it was always limiting my relationship with him. It was like, I knew he was good, but he was only so good. And I knew he was relatable, but only so relatable. And I knew, you know, that I knew him intimately, but only so intimately. And all that was capped by the fact that he had yet to heal me. He had yet to do what I wanted him to do. So anyway, we're at this Friday night of prayer and I stand up and I remember feeling really, really weak. Um, probably because I was incredibly sick, but I was just in my flesh incredibly weak. And that was actually a really good place for me to be because in that there was just less of me to be there. There was less of my own thoughts and my own doubts and whatever. And I just came before the Lord with, with all these people around me that love me. And uh, as I started to pray, I felt like I experienced God through his Holy Spirit in a way that I had never 
experienced it before in an intimate way. I'd never experienced it before. And so clearly my perspective on my situation shifted in that moment. I almost felt like I could see myself from above the room, like God had just changed my perspective. And in that moment, he changed my life with eight words. He said, Daniela, I've held nothing back from you. And nothing changed, but everything changed because I realized that he meant what he'd said. He hadn't held anything back from me. He hadn't even held back his only son. And honestly, he hadn't even held back healing for me. I know one day I'll be healed. I don't know if it's on this side of heaven or not, but I will be healed. But even though I'm not physically healed right now, I, the Lord that night, he healed my heart. <laughs> he healed me emotionally. He healed my bitterness and my lack of trust that he knows what's best. And, and that his ways are so much better than our ways, even when they don't make sense. And I do feel like maybe one day they'll make sense to me. Maybe one day he'll reveal himself. But for now, I realize I'm okay in not knowing. I can rest in that. And so I just wanna encourage you, if you have resentment or confusion or anger at God, like I, I know exactly what you're going through, what you're feeling. And one thing that helps me is to remember that God doesn't always chase away our enemies. He doesn't always make it all right. But in Psalm, I think 139, it says, God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. So hang on to that. There's goodness, there's hope, there's joy for you right in the thick of it. I want to I want to read Romans um, eight to you, and I just I, this this passage is so full of truth, and it's so full of God's love, and I just want you to hear it in a fresh way today. I don't know you might be in Daniela's situation where you are struggling, where you are longing for satisfaction and fulfillment, where you are wondering where God's goodness is. Three, and I'm just want, you know what? Just do me a favor. Just let's close our eyes for a minute. You just close your eyes with me. And just listen to these words. I don't know what your view of God is. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, are you suffering? Are you hurting today? God is going to work all things together for good. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Church, he stood in our place and he allowed his creation to strip him, to beat him, to crown him with thorns and nail him to a wooden cross so that we could see the great lengths at which he would go for us to experience his rest and his goodness and his greatness. And as if that's not enough, verse 38, let's just, again, just let these words wash over you. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Who shall separate us from his goodness? Who shall separate us from his love, from his unlimited, reckless, undeserving goodness? Nothing, nothing will. Are you finding rest today in this season of your life? Is your soul being satisfied? Are you burdened and weary? Are you reaching like Eve reached, thinking this will satisfy me? This will fulfill me. This will give me the thing that I'm longing for. Are you anxious about circumstances that you don't have power to change or power to control? Perhaps you're apathetic and indifferent because you have lost the awe and respect that God deserves. You have forgotten the miracle that he has worked in your life when he opened your eyes to the revelation that he is God and he is ruling and reigning and he died for you. He came for you. How unlimited is your view of God? How unlimited is his goodness? Maybe you've made God too small in your life. Maybe you've put a box around him. You've wrapped him up and you've tried to make it as pretty and contained and something that fits into your life, but you will only experience being weary and burdened when we live with that view of God because he cannot be contained and he's not coming to be a part of our life. He's inviting us to be a part of his life, to be a part of his way, to be a part of his mission. Whatever your view of God is today, I just want you to know that it's bigger. He's bigger. He's more merciful. He's more sovereign. He's more gracious. He's more forgiving. He's more just. We worship a God who is unlimited. And if we can capture this, if we can realize this, if, the, if we as the church can come under this, that he is the unlimited God, that he never changes. There is no God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament. There's no mean God and good God. There is the God who has always been and always will be. There is a good, gracious, loving God. And if we, the church, can come under that and live in that goodness, and then we can experience the peace that surpasses understanding when we have the view that he is unlimited in all things, including his goodness to us. Can we stand together? We're gonna to worship. I wanna pray for us. I, I don't want us to lose. I don't want us to check out here. I really want us to engage in worship. I want us to allow our hearts to be captured in a fresh way. For our hearts to be, for the fear of the Lord to take root once again. He was not, he's not a God to be dismissed. He's not a God to be trifled with or overlooked. He's a God that wants us to draw near to him and to find everything that we long for in our soul satisfied in him. You know, today you might be reaching, you might know, man, there's a situation that I am trying to control that I can't control. Perhaps you might need to repent today. You might need to say, God, I'm trying to re, I want this thing and I can't have it. And I'm not trusting in your plan and your goodness and your timing. That might be you today. 
might be all of us today. There's probably all of us can find an area where we are reaching and God wants us to rest in him.